to you and you alone, O oh God. Our praise belongs. Christ exalted over all. It is that name, the name of Jesus Christ, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. There is none that can stand beside you. There is none that can stand against you. God, you are sovereign. You are awesome. You are magnificent. You are powerful. You are holy, righteous, and true, and perfectly good. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would continue to have your way among us in this place. Give us hearts that are hungry for you. I pray for hearts of humility and teachability right now as we come under your word. Enough with the pride. Enough with the rejection of what we internally know is true. Enough of that. God, I pray for clarity today. I pray for response today. I pray that you would guard my mouth from error today. And let every word that is spoken be of your Holy Spirit in power and lead us by your Spirit into all truth as you have promised to do. May it be so today. Would you convict and refresh and rebuke and restore us through the piercing of your word and invading of your word into our hearts today. The living and active truth, the word of God himself, Jesus Christ. To you alone we lift this. To you alone, O Lord. Remove distraction from this place. Whatever's hindered us this week, whatever's on our hearts right now, we cast that at the foot of the cross and say yes to you, Lord. Yes to you. And we humble ourselves under your authority. In Jesus' name, church, if you agree, say amen. 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 You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, this week is a very significant week. As Curtis said, uh, it's never just another Sunday here. We pray that it never becomes just another Sunday. We believe that whenever God's people gather, God desires to show up. And when we faithfully uphold his word and exalt his son, Jesus Christ, he promises to do just that. Today's significant in that we are finishing off our sermon series on God's glory in the nation. These last four weeks, we've been looking at how the gospel of Jesus Christ compels us to be mobilized to engage the culture in which we live. So often, the church and Christians individually, uh, we take on this posture of... uh, backpedaling and this posture of uh, responsiveness of timidity and and whatnot when we see the moral and ethical decline of our culture around us well that's not what the gospel calls us to do Jesus Christ has given us everything we need for life and godliness and by that truth he calls us to be mobilized to engage proactively with the culture in which we live through the gospel and his power within us. That's what this sermon series is all about. And last week, we looked at how God responded. That that is amazing. Leading into the prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Praise the Lord. But we looked at how God responds to the prayers of his people as they pursue him in faith. And now this week, we're looking at how God, in wanting to display his glory through us, calls us to respond to the authorities that govern our nation. That's why this sermon is entitled Authorities, God's Servants. The authorities God has given us over this nation are his servants. And we will look at what he has to say about how we're called to honor them. If you do not have a Bible, the ushers are coming forward right now. Put your hand up. We want to put a copy of God's word in your hand. We believe in God's word. We take it seriously. And so we want to make sure you can follow along. If you don't have one, stick your hand right up and our ushers are going to come and put one in your lap. And if you, nice and high. And if you do not have one at home, that is your free gift from us to you so that you can continue to study God's word on your own. And I guarantee you this, you will need it today. Romans chapter 13, verses one to seven. Here's a quote to get us started off today. Uh, You'll see it on the screen. The way we respond to governing authorities over us is a clear picture of the way we are responding to the Lord himself. Let me say that again. The way we respond to the governing authorities over us, listen to this, 
is a clear picture of the way we're responding to the Lord himself. And all God's people said, ouch. Think about that for a moment. How you respond to the governing authorities is how you are actually responding to the Lord. See, there's a problem here. You and I have a problem, and it is this. We so often think that we can honor the Lord without honoring the very leaders that he's put over us. Impossible. It's impossible. We lift up his name in our worship as we just did, but we trample on the names of the ones that he's chosen to represent him here on earth. Yeah, but what if they do things that we don't like? We'll get to that. God's word speaks to that. We'll get to that today. We trample them in our thoughts. We trample them in our words and conversations with our neighbors, with our families. Here's a big one, on social media. We trample them in our actions, in our rebellion against them. And here in this context... Romans 13, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome about how they should be conducting themselves towards the Roman authorities that God had placed over them. Let's get a little background here. The timeline is AD 56 right now. AD 56, and Rome is under the reign of Emperor Nero. There he is. Does Emperor Nero look like a happy guy? No, he's not, and there's a reason for that. He was one of the most ruthless Roman emperors in history. One of the most ruthless leaders in history. And so much so, in just a few years from now, when Paul writes this, in just a few years from now, uh, those Christians he's writing to are about to suffer under intense persecution as Nero turns a whole nation against them after the great fire that burned Rome to the ground. You'll see a picture of it there. Burned Rome to the ground. And so what Nero did, no pun intended, maybe pun intended, to get the heat off his back, he turned everyone against the Christians and said it was them who caused it. Even though it was him because he wanted to build a bigger kingdom. And so as a result... Christians are being fed to animals alive and being burned alive as lanterns for Nero's garden parties that he was hosting. So if there's anything inside of us that says, well, Paul's writing, they don't understand what it means to be under ungodly. Really? Yeah, they do. Better than us. And it's here at this point we see God gives us the two essential truths of why we are called to honor our authorities at all times, no matter who they are and how we are to submit to them if he is to display his glory through us in this nation. Let's pick it up, Romans 13, 1 to 7. And to honor the word of the Lord, let's stand to read. Let's stand to read to honor the authority of God's word. Submission to authorities, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Sobering word there. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for you, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, see, authorities are God's servants, loved ones. I must submit to them, number one, out of submission to God out of submission to God. Look at verse 1a. Right out of the gate, Paul lays this down. He says, let every person be subject to governing 
authorities. Okay, key word. Here's how we interpret scripture. You come to party with the pastors today, you'll hear it again. You come to Harvest Essentials, you'll hear it again. It is this. Every word is inspired, so every word is preached. We believe that. Do you believe that? We believe that. So there's a reason, I love the Holy Spirit. There's a reason he uses the term, let every person. Do you know what the Greek term for that person is? It means the soul. Let every soul, which indicates that every part of our being is to be subject. Every part of ourselves is to be subject. Now, what does it mean to be subject? To submit or to place ourselves under in our words, in our thoughts, in our actions. See, Paul says here that every person, every person, but especially Christians, are to willingly submit under all of the civil authorities that govern our cities and our nation. Getting a little shifty. But notice this. Notice this. Our willingness to submit to authority, notice what Paul doesn't say there. Our willingness to submit to authority is not to be based at all on the perceived morality, abilities, experience, or agreement that we have with those authorities. Notice what Paul didn't say. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities uh, when you agree with them. When the guy or when the lady who got voted in is who you wanted, then be subject. Doesn't say it. You won't find it. And there's a reason for that. We have to be clear on something here. Submission is to be given willingly, but don't mistake willing submission for unwise submission. It's to be giving, given willingly, but not unwisely. And we will unpack this in a little bit, as there may be times when what authorities demand forces us to go against the authority of God's word. Forces us to go against the authority of God's word. This is not speaking of just some blind submission or obedience. It is willing submission, but not unwise submission. There's a big difference there that we're going to unpack. Notice, Paul specifically, here's another thing, every word inspired, every word preached. You know, Paul specifically uses the word here to subject yourself, which means to submit instead of just obey. Obey the authorities. Why is that? There's a big difference between those words, loved ones. Because here's, here's something we need to remember. Never mistake external obedience in the hand. Ready? Never mistake external obedience in the hand as coming from an internal submission of the heart. Big difference. Never mistake an external obedience in the hand. I'm going to pay my taxes as an inter- coming from an internal submission of the heart. In fact, as I was thinking through this point is we've got to be clear. We want to be clear in how we teach God's word here. I wonder how many of us, it struck me, uh, are, are like this. You'll see a picture on the screen. I'll pay my taxes, but oh man. It kind of reminds me that I used to be a high school teacher, elementary and spec ed teacher. And how many times you say, okay, I need you to sit down right now. No, I need you to sit down right now. No, I need you to sit down right now. No, finally, I need you to sit down. And they're like, Fine. I'm sitting on the outside, but inside I'm, everyone say, standing. Is that how we're obeying or submitting to authorities? That's not submission. That's why Paul says be subject. You see what God's going after is the heart. Because this is what he goes after all the time. Because the heart is the wellspring of life. Proverbs 4.23, if you don't believe me. It's the wellspring of life. This is not how we're called to submit. So how about you, loved ones? How about me? Is this a picture, right here, as you look at this, is this a picture of how you view submitting to the authorities that God has put in place to oversee our city or our nation? Think carefully. It's so easy to do this. External conformity in the hand with little to no internal humility or submission of the heart. And some of you may say, well, wait, what? Honestly, honestly, 
Why is this such a big deal to God? I mean, doesn't he see some of the decisions being made? Doesn't he hear about some of the corruption that's going on sometimes? Doesn't he see how the impacts of the decisions that are being made are having and how society as a whole seems to be getting darker and more chaotic? Does he not see that? Hey, loved one, good news. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And here's the reality. Look up here. He sees it a lot better than you and I do. And he actually has a lot more wisdom than you or I do about how to handle it. And he still calls us to be subject to the authorities. And he gives us three reasons right here. I love God's word. It's so clear. He gives us three reasons right here why he commands us to do this. Number one, three reasons we're called to submit to authorities. Number one, they're instituted by God. He put them there. He put them there. Let's read. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Verse one, for there is no authority. There is no, circle the word no. There is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Every, here's, here's how we break that down. Every single authority is only there because God has assigned them to be there. Otherwise they would not be there. Every ruler of every nation, every police officer, every mayor, every civil authority is put in place because God put them there. You think, but we vote, we vote. Listen, I think you'd agree with me. Jesus has the final say. We're going to unpack what that looks like in a little bit. He's got the final say. Think about this. Think about the magnitude of that verse right there. There never has been, never has been at any point in human history, nor will there ever be at any point in human history, one single authority figure in this nation or any other city, town, or nation in this world that God has not put there for our good and for his glory. Now, some of you say, some of you may say, well, what on earth is he thinking? This is church. You can't lie in church. What's he thinking? What do you mean? Like, why is he putting this? Don't you see this guy? He wants to do this. What, what are we thinking? Here, here, here's how God's thinking. Ready? With a lot more wisdom than you or I. That's humbling, eh? All authority is from him. And in his sovereignty... He puts authorities in place as he works out his perfect, wise, and good plan through them. Now, you say sovereignty is a big word. You say, what does that mean? Well, uh, theologian Wayne Grudem, I love how he just puts it so pointedly. He just says right here, you'll see it on the screen. Sovereignty is just simply God's exercise of power over his creation. Universe, the earth, people... His his exercise of power in his sovereign plan. He's not a dictator, but in his sovereignty, he's working out his plan to bring it to pass. And you say, well, wait, how do we know about authority? Well, glad you asked. Psalm 103, verse 19, you'll see it on the screen. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. Look at this, love this. And his kingdom rules over all. Still not convinced? Check out Daniel 4.25b. It says this, The Most High, that is God himself, rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Not to the popular vote. To whom he will. He gives it. And just in case you need another one, one of my favorite passages in scripture, Proverbs 21.1 says, The heart of a king is like a stream of water in the hands of the Lord and he turns it any way he wishes. Love it. Does that not give you hope to get on your knees and pray for our leaders? He turns it any way he wishes. 
The bottom line is this, loved ones. All earthly authority is ultimately submitted to and instituted by the rule of God. God has... Hey, hey, loved ones. Cheer up, cheer up, eyes up. God has not abandoned this world. Amen? He's not sitting there wondering about, gee, I didn't see that coming. I didn't know that person was going to get in. What are we going to do about this now? I better go to plan B. God doesn't have a plan B. He's always plan A. He hasn't abandoned this world. No matter what the people in the world, no matter what other people may try to tell you, where's your God? He just created it and left. There's theories about that. That's ridiculous. He hasn't abandoned this world. He is very much in control and he's putting in place the authorities that he wants for his glory and our good. And we trust him that he knows what he's doing. And you'll see this on the screen. This, to sum that up, look at it this way. Recognizing that all authority comes from God is the first step to knowing that all that happens is held in the hands of God. That hit me this week so strongly. Recognizing that all authority comes from God is the first step to truly knowing that all that happens is held in the hands of God. I love how John Newton, who was a minister to politicians, he said this, this is the peace, right here, right here. This is the peace passing all understanding of which authorities cannot deprive us. Love it. Love it. This is the peace that passes all understanding. It's all held in the hands of God. We could stay on that, the whole message, but we're going to move on. Three reasons we're called to submit to authorities. Number one, they're instituted by God. They don't get there unless God puts them there. Guaranteed. Number two, to resist them. Why we submit? To resist them is to resist God. Look at verse two. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. How many times did Paul say resist in that verse? Three. When God says something once, you listen. When he says it twice, uh, yeah, you listen. When he says it three times, it's time to listen. He says those who resist. He said, therefore, so based on the truth that God establishes all authorities, the truth is that we when we resist them, here, this is sobering, when we resist authorities, we are ultimately resisting and rebelling against God himself. How does that impact how you drive? When you're tempted to pick up the phone, to text while you're driving, I mean, I didn't know that personally. I've heard that happens. Like, think about this, loved ones. And the, the word resist, you know, the, the Greek word for resist there means to set oneself against. It's refusal to come under the authority. That's what the Greek word resist means. And the result, notice, what's the result of this? When we resist it, look at the back half of verse 2. God is appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. Because you break the law. You break the law and there's judgment, yes, in two places. One, ultimately before God when we stand before him and give an account for every careless word, scripture says, or action that we've done. You and I will stand before the Lord and give account for that. Yeah, but I didn't like the guy who was making that rule. Doesn't matter. So what you're saying is God didn't know what he was doing. Judgment before God. But here's the other thing. God also uses earthly authority to bring his discipline into our lives. Get a speeding ticket. Break the law. You can go to jail. Now, hold on. Hold on. As I mentioned earlier, God doesn't call us to just blind submission. This is important to note right here. Pay attention. Here it is. We are to submit willingly, but not, what was it? Unwisely. Good job taking notes. Love it. Not unwisely. Why? 
Because there are times, as we see throughout history, certainly precedented in the Bible, when we may not be able to submit in a situation because what we're being asked or forced to do goes against the authority of God's word. One example, you say, what are you talking about? One example of this comes, you'll see on the screen, Acts 5. So in this, the disciples have been commanded by the ruling Jewish authorities to not preach the gospel. They said, you cannot preach the name of Jesus Christ. Where God's word clearly tells us, Matthew 28, Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Preach the gospel, Romans 10, 14 to 78. It's all over the place. We're commanded to do that. And yet here's the ruling authority saying no. I'm commanding you not. Let's read. And the high priest questioned them. Disciples brought before them, saying, we strictly charged you, that is, commanded you, to not teach in his name. What name? Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. But Peter and the apostles answered, here it is, we must obey God rather than man. They were being forced. You see the difference? They're being forced. Rules, laws were not being passed that they just didn't like. They were being forced to not preach the gospel. Big difference. We got to be clear, this doesn't give us a license for justifying selfish or prideful action in rebellion against the authorities. It doesn't give us license for that, loved ones. Let's face it, and, and, and if we're honest, really, if we're honest, really, most of our resistance to our authorities is about our own pride and desires. I choose to speed. I chose to pick up the phone to text while I was driving. I chose to slander that politician online. I chose to do that. It wasn't forcing me to do an agenda that was against the authority of God's word. It's about getting or doing what we want. And in these cases here, loved ones, together I say this, in these cases we're not doing God any favors. We're just not. And we're not, and we are actually, here's the sobering truth this text shows us, we're actually resisting the gospel going forward. When we resist, when we're not forced to go against God's word, that's not faithfulness, loved ones, that's pride. Now, the other thing we must understand is this. And just because we may be called to not submit in one area that we're being forced to go against God's word, we're not called to submit in that area. But listen, just because we're not being called to submit in one area doesn't mean that we are not still called to submit in all the other areas where we're not being forced. You take one thing and make it this whole thing of rebellion and set resistance against the government. It's not what God calls us. That's not faithful either. And we'll get to what Jesus has to say about that in a few moments. So let me ask you a question. Majo's already prompted you with this picture. But what areas are you resisting the Lord in right now where you know you're resisting his authorities? Not because you're forced to in upholding biblical authority but because of your own pride and how you want to do things with your words and with your actions, conversations with your neighbors, with your kids, with your spouse, social media. Where is it for you? We all do it. I do it. We need to repent of that. Here, maybe it's this. There's a pic. Maybe you'll see another one. You got another one, Major? There it is. Maybe it's that. And you say, well, it's just a speed limit. Come on, I was in a hurry. Listen, listen, loved ones. I know you're in a hurry. Um, But these are not small in the sight of God. We might think it's just a quick, let's pick up the phone and text. And my wife can tell you that she's a great tool of God's sanctification for me in this area. And I'm so thankful for that. But the reality is these are not small in God's sight. Because we are resisting our authorities. And they actually, in doing this, you might think it's just a small compromise. Listen, it's not in the the sight of God. In In resisting that, we're actually resisting the gospel going forward in our lives because we are rebelling against the Lord himself. 
That's sobering, eh? We're in this together. I'm not saying I got, I do this perfect. I, I just told you, I don't. But we need to be humble about this, loved ones. That's a big deal in the sight of God. Three reasons we're called to submit to authorities. Number one, they're instituted by God. Number two, to resist them is to resist God. And number three, authorities carry out God's purposes for my good. For my good. Look at verses three in the first part of four. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. See, government is not just some nuisance to be put up with, church, but, but an instrument for God's purposes. And even though we complain, the reality is this, loved ones, without government, there would be nothing but anarchy. That's the reality. That's the only place our sinful flesh can take us. Rebellion against God always leads... Rebellion in the vertical always leads to rebellion in the horizontal. Against each other. Why do you think unity... Why do you think Satan fights so hard for disrupting unity in the family? Unity in the church? Because rebellion, our flesh, only takes us there because we look out for ourselves. That's the reality Paul says here that every authority God's instituted, whether we agree with them or not, is his servant for our good. But notice this, he doesn't say they're perfect. Just like you and me, they're not perfect. But they have been put there by God for our good? Think about how mind-blowing that is. So whatever you think, of Prime Minister Trudeau or Premier Wynne or that police officer that pulled you over. Whatever you think about them, God says, which is all that matters, they are his servants for our good and we are to treat them as such. For our good, God can do nothing but for the good of his people. It's against his character. It's against his nature. For our good. And if we want to live without fear of that authority, then we are to live out what the Lord promises to bless by doing what is good. Look at the back half of verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. What's the good he's talking about here? Because we have a lot. Good's kind of a subjective term. Here's what good is. The Greek for the word good there means this. Actions empowered by God. Oh, Act, do what's good. Actions empowered by God. This is the fruit that comes from living out the gospel in our lives. Do good. Living out the gospel. Why, why does he say do good? Why, why live out the gospel? What does that do? Because everything that the gospel stands for and therefore bears fruit in our lives to represent is always for the benefit of society. It's always for the benefit of those around us. Don't believe me? Let's, I'm going to read from Galatians 5. Let's look at what some of this fruit is. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. Didn't put it on the screen. You want to turn there in your Bible? Great. If not, then just listen to this. Here's the, the good Paul is speaking of. But the fruit of the Spirit, ready, is love, no law against love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness. You think they're going to put a law against kindness? Goodness. Faithfulness. Doing what you say you're going to do. Faithful to the Lord. Gentleness. Self-control. And I love how, this is so beautiful, eh? The Lord knows, against such things there is no law. That's the fruit of the God. That's the good. 
This is why we need to be anchored in God's word. And this is why it's impossible to do this without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We can't do this on our own. This has to come from the work of the Holy Spirit within us that comes from saying, Lord, I repent of my sin. I know I'm in need of a Savior. I know I'm going to stand before you one day and I won't be able to give an excuse at that moment anymore as to why I rejected you. Come into my life. And he gives us his spirit. And then he loves us so much. His spirit takes over and starts to bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. And you say, walking in submission is, that's, that's not freeing. Oh yes, it is. Because it is submission to the Lord. And he, in him alone is our joy complete. And it is for freedom, Galatians 5.1, that Jesus Christ has come to set us free so we wouldn't submit anymore to a yoke of slavery, which is all this world can offer. He's like, enough of that. I see how dark it's getting. Obviously, things aren't working out, trusting in other things. How long is it going to be before you turn to me? Maybe for some of us here, that's today. And if that's you right now, you're like, I don't have personal relationship with Christ. He's like, I brought you here for this. I love you. Stop running. Start walking in freedom. And there may be from time to time some rare exceptions to this, but overall, few governments will rarely harm those who obey, who obey their laws by living out the good works of the gospel. Okay. Your little preacher insight. Moment of vulnerability. Last night I, was on, I take a prayer walk on Saturday nights to pray for all of you. I'm on my prayer walk last night and the sun went down. And I'm walking up the side of the road and it's dark. And this car's coming and then it slows right down. Be careful what you preach on, loved ones. God's going to get you to put that into practice to make sure it's legit. And sure enough, the lights go on. It's a policeman. And I'm walking down the road. I'm like, oh no. And then there's other cars coming this way. And I'm like, what if they know me? I'm like, oh dear. <laughs> Seriously, this is why I'll just break the ice. If that was any of you, there, there, I just busted your platform. So here's the thing though. Here's the thing. I'm walking down. This guy rolls down the window. I got my iPod in. I pull it down. I'm like, good evening. He goes, good evening. I said, yes. And he's like, I just want to let you know, like, you're not wearing very bright clothing. He goes, for your own protection, because I care about you, just may want to think about putting some bright clothing on. I had my Harvest Kids t-shirt on. <laughs> but here's the thing. He goes, that's all. And I just looked at him, kindness. And I need help of the Holy Spirit to do this, just ask my wife. But I was just like, thank you so much for caring. He goes, thank you for that. Have a good night. It's not harming you for your, your good of showing kindness, loved ones. But, look what Paul goes on to say in verse 4. Look what he goes on to say. For he is God's servant for your good, but... If you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. See, the word wrath there means punishment, okay? Discipline, punishment. See, God has given earthly authority to not only approve what is good, but to also work for our good by giving them the power to punish wrongdoing that goes against his moral standards. Remember verse 2? It says we incur judgment when we resist them. And this is why, even in administering punishment for the breaking of laws, authorities are called God's servants, because God will ultimately use that punishment or discipline for the good of his children if we humble ourselves under him in it, even if it may not feel like that at the time. Just ask Joseph, back in Genesis. Just ask him and countless other faithful men and women of God. He'll work it for our good. You say, well, how, how do you know that? Romans 8, 28, he tells us, you see it on the screen. And we know, there's the assurance, that for those who love God, all things, that means all things, the approval and the punishment and the correction, 
All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Question, do you view authorities as God's servants this way? Do you view authorities of God's servants this way? And how does your conduct, your words, your thoughts, your actions reflect this at the coffee shop, online, with your families, with your coworkers? Because here's the reality. Authorities are God's servants. I must submit to them out of submission to God. And from the overflow of that, last point for today is this. I must submit to them for a clear conscience before God. Look at verses, verse 5. Let's start there. Therefore, based on all that has just been said, Paul says, therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. See, Paul goes on to say that based on the fact that authorities are God's servants, we are called to submit to them, not only to avoid his punishment through them, but so we live with a clear conscience before him and others. A clear conscience. What's the what does that conscience mean? We, again, we have all these idea, different ideas of what conscience means. Here's what it means in the Greek. An innate or internal discernment between what's morally good and bad. So we know internally what's right and what's wrong. God's put that in each of our hearts. Whether you're a believer or non-believer, you say, wait a second, how do I know that? Romans 2.15, you'll see it on the screen. The work of the law that is God's moral standard, God's law, is written on our hearts. The moment we're born. We all know what's right and what's wrong. It's in our hearts and it's for that reason we will not be able to give an excuse before the Lord when we stand before him and say, I didn't know that was wrong. He's like, I put it on your heart. You chose to stifle it and rebel against me with it. We don't have an excuse. It's there. And here's the reality. No matter what culture tries to throw at us on this, loved ones, know this. Ready, ready, ready? Heard it here. If you remember nothing else from the sermon today, remember this. Truth is not relative. We don't get to make it up. All truth is God's truth. It's not relative. In our conscience, we know that submitting to authorities is right. And Paul emphasizes this because when we're not living with a clear conscience, thereby going against God's law in our hearts, here's the reality, Romans 14, 23, we're living in sin. If we're not living with a clear conscience, we're living in sin. This is why Paul says in Acts 24, 16, you'll see it on the screen here. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward God first, vertical, man, horizontal. Vertical, always before horizontal first, right? I take pains. Why does he say pains? Because let's face it, look around us, loved ones. You may know this in your own lives. Living with a clear conscience will cost you in this world. It'll probably cost you friends. It'll probably cost you opportunities to live with a clear conscience before the Lord and before man. No, I can't fudge those expense reports. Well, it's going to cost you your job. Now look at this. He goes on to say in the last two verses. For because of this, you also pay taxes. This is the practical outflow of a clear conscience before the Lord. Because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. See, Paul sums up this section by saying that because of our command to live with a clear conscience before God, all believers and non-believers, Christians and non-Christians, are to pay all taxes and revenue. What's revenue? Bills. Your hydro bill, your heating bill, all of that stuff. Taxes, income tax, property tax, all that stuff that they owe regardless of how, here it is, regardless, loved ones, of how the authorities choose to use that money. I'm paying this so they can raise my hydro rates again. Pay it. We're commanded to. 
This is where we trust the Lord will provide all we need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. See, the mindset we must have, church, is paying what we owe is not just a responsibility to the governing authorities, but ultimately to God himself, and we are sinning when we withhold the payment of it. So instead of looking at it as, oh, there goes more money to the government, it's like, I get to uphold my responsibility before the Lord right now in writing that check, in paying that tax, not skimming off my income tax. How do we know this? Jesus said, Mark 12, 17, he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. He's talking in this specific context about paying taxes, the temple tax. And if Jesus did it, and we're called to monitor him, no brainer. So should we. We're commanded to. And see, notice, Paul doesn't stop at saying it is enough to give a payout back to our leaders with our taxes and then leave it there. See what he does? See what he does here? See what God always does? He goes back to the heart. It builds. It builds. Look at this. He goes back to the heart behind why we do that and says that we are to show honor and respect and have a high esteem for all public officials regardless if we agree with their conduct or not. Verse 7, he says, love how he builds it. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes, whom taxes are owed. Revenue, whom revenue is owed. Now look, respect, that's an intangible, and honor, to whom honor is is owed. The word, I was so rocked by this this week, the word honor there in the Greek means this, ready? To value something preciously. To value them preciously. I value, Lord willing, I don't show my wife near enough honor that God calls me to. And, but I am to value her preciously. I am to honor the authorities around me preciously as servants of God. See, honor is a gift that we give to someone freely and the person never has to earn it by their conduct, the impact of their decisions on us or whether we feel like they deserve it or not. Honor is something we give freely. Otherwise, it's nothing more than a transaction. You do this for me, now I'll show you honor. That's not honor. I mean, look at today, loved ones. Is this not contrary to what we see in the world, even among Christians? So often, instead of showing honor and respect to our leaders in our prayers for them, our words about them, and our service to them, we are so quick to criticize them and dishonor them. Well, at the same time, here's what we're doing when we dishonor them. We're dishonoring the very one that they represent, God Almighty himself. And this came to mind, this, to sum up this point, And it is this, the level of honor that we show to others is a clear indicator of the recognition we have of what Christ has done for us. The level of honor that we can show to others, yes, to governing authorities, but to each other around us is such a clear indicator of the recognition we have of what Christ has done for us. Because here's the simple truth, loved ones, here's the truth, you and I Know this, know this. You and I deserve Christ's love and honor much less than that person deserves it from us. You and I deserve Christ's love and and honor much less than our authorities deserve it from us. There was nothing desirable about us when Jesus Christ came and humbled himself under the cross to give his life for us. There was nothing worthy of honor that we could do no, no works, no, oh, I got this status, I've got this much money, nothing. And Jesus Christ humbled himself under the cross. The Son of God showed us the greatest honor we could ever be shown, and we did not deserve it. That's why it's grace. Giving us what we don't deserve by humbling and submitting himself under the, get this, this is going to blow your mind. Jesus came to earth, fully God, fully man, humbled himself under the very authorities that he put there. And all God's people said, what? He humbled himself under the authorities that he established. Think about that for a moment. Talk about humility. And submitted himself, 
so that he could die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins, be raised to life three days later, that we may have eternal life in him. And it is now through Jesus Christ alone that we can repent of our sin, confess him as our Lord and Savior, and submit ourselves to him by joyfully and freely submitting to the authorities he's seen fit to establish over us and live with a clear conscience before him no matter who they are or what is done. Because here's the reality for every single believer in Jesus Christ, ready? Our hope is ultimately not in that our authorities on earth, our hope is ultimately in him, amen? Amen. That is a hope that never disappoints, ever. And God has now exalted him to the highest place and all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to him. Amen? Amen. So how are you living out Christ's call for submission to authority? In your words, in your thoughts, in your actions. How are you doing this? Okay, let's break it down. Drill it down a little bit more. What's the next step you need to take to get right in that area? Maybe it's to stay off social media for a while. Maybe it's to go the speed limit. Maybe it's to stop texting while you're driving. These aren't just, oh, he's telling you to stop texting. No, I'm not telling you. I'm not saying anything. God's saying anything. God is saying everything. What's the next step, loved ones? And if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your personal savior, that is your first step. There is no hope without him. You can run all you want. You can try to rationalize it all you want. He's not going anywhere. His authority is established. He will not be moved. And it's time to end the fight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you, God, even preaching this this morning again, just under the conviction of your word. Lord, apart from Jesus Christ, it is impossible to do what was just asked of us. But in Jesus Christ, we can say, yes, Lord, I've sinned in this area. You have come to die for me, that you would forgive me of that sin, that I may leave here refreshed and in confidence in Jesus, knowing that in Christ it is a new day, knowing that in Christ there is no condemnation, and knowing that in Christ you will give me everything that I need to do exactly what you want me to do. We thank you for that love. We thank you for honoring us so much, Lord, that you gave your only son and loving us first so that we could love you back in how we submit to the authorities that you've put over us. Jesus over all. There is no other name. We praise you, God, for this work. In Jesus' name.